You're listening to the Bride Chilla Podcast, helping bride chillas and groom chillas plan their wedding minus the bullshit. One podcast at a time with your host, Alicia McCormack. That is indeed me. I am Alicia. I am the host of this show. This is episode 337. Today, it's all about working with your parents. The title of this show is Working with Wedding Donors, aka your parents. But I want people to remember that even if they're not giving you cash, there are often issues when it comes to control and parents getting their own way, even if it's just sort of subtly. It can really, as my dad say, shit you to tears after a while. So that's the episode today. And I'm so excited to give you some very practical, useful tips to work with your parents or relatives that are wanting to be involved, potentially you are financially involved in your wedding planning, but also find a balance for you to not have to feel like you are obliged to do all the stuff that they want to do just because they're giving you cash or just because yet they birthed you. I always find some of the most challenging answers to give to your wedding planning Q&A come from parental problems. And that comes from a really long history, sorry to make us feel old, a long history, our whole darn lives. And that's not even including step families and extended families as well. But we have this history with them where we know how they work, we know their gentle manipulations, they know how we work. And when it comes to making this shift and creating a new life with someone else and involving their families as well, it can get complicated as fuck. It really can. People act weird, their their moods can shift, they aren't communicating in a good way, and it can get complicated really quickly. And sometimes, as we, I'm sure people have read in the Bride Chiller community, and I'm sure in other forums as well, parents can act strangely and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why aren't you happy for me? Let's make this work. I just want to have a nice time. Now, I am not going to be, uh, well, I am going to be. <laughs> a lie. What a liar. I was going to say, I'm not going to be an armchair psychologist, but what the fuck have I been doing for the past 337 episodes? I am going to be an armchair psychologist. I will say that every parental situation relationship is different ofs, but I do think there is for a lot of parents an underlying thing that their kids growing up, and even though a lot of us have probably left home, got jobs, lived our lives outside of that gentle, lovely umbrella, sometimes intense umbrella that is our parents, it can be really intense for them to actually come to the conclusion that their their kid is going to have an independent life and make their own decisions. Now, that might not be the case for everyone listening. And you might have the coolest gosh darn parents out there and well done for you. Relax, but still listen to this episode because there will be good things in it. I promise. But you might, (laughs) on the other hand, you might have parents that are making you feel slightly uneasy. You don't know how to cope with them. And this could be in-laws as well. And you're trying to find a delicate balance between keeping them happy, but also keeping yourself happy, which I think is very important. In the Bride Chiller Survival Guide, there's a whole chapter about wedding donors. I'm sure you've heard me use this this term before. It's very in brief. In briefly, I don't know if that's a real way to say this. Very in briefly, going to go with it now, Alicia, go with it now. Very in briefly, say it again, just to really cement that that's a real phrase. Fourth time, very in briefly, the wedding donor concept is just basically like a political donor. These are people that want to help you out with a financial contribution to your wedding. They have good intentions, most of them, but then let's not talk about real politics. And uh, they're like, here, have some money, enjoy yourselves, treat yourselves, do what you want. 
And then sometimes, like political donors, they swoop back in when they feel uncomfortable or they have a bit of an agenda or they want something else done. They don't agree with how you're doing it. And they say, "Mm, by the way, um, do you remember that 20 grand we gave you? So here's the thing. We would like to invite 25 of our closest friends. And also we don't like the way that you are doing things. So we've got some suggestions. And then that's that's not a gun. <laughs> that wasn't a gun. That was me doing a little pen, a clicky pen, not a gun. Because uh, this would take a turn for the worst if it was a gun. I'm doing it again. Uh, and then they bring the clipboard out. And they're like, Here, here's our list of shit that we want you to do. Now, sometimes it's not as overt as that. But often it's them swooping in and trying to come up with, with ways that they would like you to change. And I, in the book, sort of relate it to being a quasi-blackmail. And it's not necessarily an overt blackmail. It's maybe not even a conscious blackmail. But it's really hard when someone is giving you something uh, to then come back and say, oh, that's not what we were hoping to do. And for a lot of kids, I, I am one of these people. I, You know, it can be really difficult to come back to your parents, especially when they're giving you something, to say, no, please no. Today in this episode, I'm going to feature some of your parental wedding donor related questions. Some of it isn't specifically about money, but it's also about parental control and how it can be really challenging to get them to understand, especially also when potentially when they got married in the 70s, 80s, early 90s. God, if you were, if your parents got married in the 90s, I'm so jealous of your youth. God, it sounded like an old vulture. I'm not even that old. I'm not old. I'm in my 30s. I'm in my 30s. Hmm. Thanks so much for supporting me through this. Let's go to a voice message from Brad Chulahana. Hi, Alicia, um, or my friend Alicia, as my fiancé would call you, because you've helped me so much already. Um, my name's Hannah. I'm getting married in Seattle, Washington, spring 2019. And my question is about wedding donors and um, feel, having questioning your, your self-worth. Um, I teach preschool, so I don't make a whole lot of money. Um, but my father and my partner's mother have, um, offered to pay for the, the majority of our wedding. Um, my question is, how do you recommend squashing questions of self-worth and the nagging guilt that you're not paying for your own, you know, vision and your um, dream wedding. Um, we're doing it really frugally. I'm doing my own flowers and I'm baking my own gluten-free, um, milk bar birthday cake. I just, so much of, of my, you know, independence has come from my financial independence. And this seems to be kind of a missing piece. Um, let me know if you have any ideas or recommendations on how, I can feel better about the the financial donors. They're not controlling, but they, you know, they have the money. Um, thanks so much. Happy days. When I first listened to Hannah's message, by the way, you're my friend too. Friend Alicia, I love that so much. Um, Hannah, when I first listened to your message, I just related so much to what you have to say. I grew up in a single parent family with my dad. Uh, from an, a later age, I live with my dad and 
he really instilled a sense of independence and I think potentially too much independence in a way that I would have loved a little bit more hands-on parenting. Um, but I was sort of set free at an early age, especially financially. I got my first job um, over the summer when I was 15 slash 16 when you could sort of legally work in Australia. And from then on, he really said, that's your money and you're earning it. And I, and it wasn't brutal. He wasn't saying I won't contribute anymore. But from then on, I paid for all of my, you know, clothes and extra bits and pieces. So I was financially independent from that point, minus, you know, paying rent and uh, utilities and all those sort of extra things. But for all the extra stuff like clothes and makeup and teenage girl stuff, it was me. I bought the stuff and I was really happy with that. And then really from that point on, I was set free. So when it came to our wedding, my dad had said he'd contribute a little bit of money and he did in the end, but I found it really hard to accept money from him and to talk about it because really we had cut the financial cord in my teens. And from then on, he didn't pay for anything, which is absolutely cool. I'm not sort of like, woe is me, get out the mini violins. It's just that because we hadn't had that relationship talking about financial stuff, I didn't really have anything to go off. And I also placed a little bit of, I wouldn't say shame, but I also placed a bit of thing, uh, you know, this sort of guilt of going, okay, I'll, I'll I'm, I'm really delightful that you want to contribute a little bit of money. And it was a couple of grand. It wasn't a bunch and bunch. It was, I mean, it was a lot of money, but it wasn't like $50,000. But it really helped us just reach our goal because we had quite a small wedding budget. But I also just really found it hard to then say to dad, hey, have you got that money? I really could use that money now. Because I had never done that. I paid for my own student loans. I paid for my own rent. I've never been in a situation where I've had to go back and say, can I borrow money? Because I found that I would rather borrow money from friends, to be honest. And I'm trying to think if I ever had to. I don't think I ever had to actually, you know, borrow money to stay alive from anyone. And I know my dad would have absolutely given me cash, but there's a pride thing attached to it. So in my, that was a really long answer, Hannah, to your conundrum and question, but I just wanted to say that I absolutely relate to this. I know everyone listening would have different feelings about how their parents have talked to them about money. And, you know, in, I talk a lot in the survival guide about our money stories and how our parents' view of money and debt and credit and working can re- really affect us as people because that's our first experience of how someone else manages money. We watch our parents. We're, we are absolutely exposed to their money mindset. And then we get, we get big, we grow up, we leave home, we get jobs, we get debt, we get credit, whatever. And it can absolutely reflect on how they work around their money problems or their advantages. And then how we work out our money stuff, especially when we've got a partner that has a whole different money story attached to to their upbringing as well. So it can be really challenging. I will say, Hannah, and everyone else that may be in a similar situation, that I think a majority of people who stand up and say, I would like to contribute to your wedding. And that's not just parents. I know there are other family members that that contribute. So I'm, I'm always sort of saying parents, but let's just say our wedding donors. I think a majority of them do it because they love you and they want to 
help you out at this really important time in your life. And that's one of the easiest ways that they can do that by saying, we'll pay for this or have some cash. This is a really tricky time where things cost more than you expect. So I think above anything, we just need to be very aware that they're doing it out of love and they want to help you. So I know, again, as someone that's independent and fiercely sort of (laughs) stubborn when it comes to cash, that I find it hard to accept help. And even, this is so silly, that even when it comes to business stuff, I know that, you know, we had to ask Rich's parents to help us, and I was so grateful for this. When we first started printing the books, we had to pay for them outright to our factory who were printing them. And it was a shit ton of money for Rich and I to come up with on the spot. And we went to Veronica and John and said, can we do a business loan with you? Because no no bank would give us a loan because I'm a podcast host. (laughs) That makes a little bit of money out of sponsorship, but not enough for them to say, we'll lend you money. And I found it really fucking challenging to say to them, hey, here's a proper plan. We did a business plan. We did a spreadsheet of stuff. But it was so challenging for me to say to them, could I please borrow this money temporarily and we'll pay you back as soon as we start to um, sell books. And we have. It's done. But, it, you know, for me, it was a real pride thing and I found it really challenging, but it helped us out of a bind. And also, look, we've got books. We're selling them. You're buying them. It's amazing. Like anything, I think you should know your boundaries. And I like that Hannah said that they're not asking of anything crazy, but she needs to work out her feelings. And I really think that you should take some time, maybe even sit, have a little pros and cons list, figure out what you feel comfortable with. And also it's about communication. All of my suggestions today in this episode and also in the book, I have give, give a list of questions before anyone gives you money or you accept money. You really need to figure out the boundaries of that transaction. And that's the quickest way to prevent miscommunication, bossiness, and assumptions that you'll be doing exactly what they think you should be doing. And if you can start fresh, start with a really clear guidelines of their expectations and your expectations of cash and what that cash is going to pay for, then it will make things so much easier. Pack up your pride, Hannah. It's harder to say, easier to say, harder to do. But I do think that you should accept the money. You are hustling the shit out of it. I mean, you're making the cake. You've got the flowers. You're doing all this stuff. I think you aren't going out and being extravagant and, and you know, going and buying champagne. Maybe you are buying champagne. Champagne's amazing. Drink the champagne. But you're not going out in crazy shopping sprees with the cash. You're being sensible and mindful, and I, I salute you for that. So... Be strong, Hannah. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the question. I know a lot of people listening will feel the same way. It's really one of those things that is quite unusual, especially as a fierce independent woman, to uh, accept the cash. Chookers to you. Oh, chookers. There's an Australian word. I've used it at work recently. And chookers, you say it before you go on stage, like break a leg. And you go, oh, chookers. And someone at work looked at me, as usual, not even, I mean, this is not unusual at all, uh, going, what the fuck, what are you saying? I'm like, chookers, as we had a TV crew in our office going to shoot something, we'd set it up and they were going to, uh, I'm a TV producer by day, if you don't know, by the way, they were leaving and I'm yelling out, chookers! And they're like, is she on crack? What's she saying? And I forgot that was not something used outside of Australia. So if you hear someone saying chookers, 
it uh, comes from the 1900s where they would say it before you go on stage and it's just stuck. That has nothing to do with wedding donors, but you know I like to empower you with weird Australian words. Oh, who's next on the voicemail? Hey, Leash, uh, I'm not sure you get many blokes uh, listening or submitting questions to uh, your show, but look, I um, absolutely love it. I've been listening recently. Um, got got engaged just over uh, just near 12 months ago and uh, getting married in about eight months in April. Now, um, my question today is, uh, look, um, my my fiancé, um, I'm, I'm loving being part of the wedding planning process and, you know, really trying to get involved with it all. Um, the issue that I'm facing is that my, when, when my fiance will go and meet with someone, if her mother, if she goes with her mother, she, um, puts across the things that she wants her mother to hear and that, you know, she thinks will keep her, her mother happy. Um, and then when I'll go and meet with someone, uh, with her, then it's what she actually wants. How do I, how do we, you know, work with, work with her mum to whilst keep her mother happy, you know, also ensure that what we're getting is what we actually want. Um, you know, it's, it's quite difficult, but yeah, thanks for, yeah, thanks for listening and, uh, looking forward to hearing your answer. Thanks. Thank you, anonymous groom chiller with an Australian accent. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy that you're enjoying listening to the show. I'd love to hear more from Groom Chillers. So if you are listening, Groom Chillers, and you have a question or a comment, record it. We need more blokey voices on this show. Top question that I think is very relevant for so many people in our audience because Parent Pleasing 101 can be really tricky and I know that sometimes it's easier to please parents and potentially do what they would like you to do because, well, because we know how parents are. They know how we are. And I think actually as adults, you start to figure out a little bit more of what drives them, how they react to things and how you should react back to prevent dramas or tanties or disagreements. And I think as kids, you don't have, you know, you develop this as you get older. And then as you become an adult and you start to look at them from adult eyes, it can really change. So in this situation, I'm reading it that your fiancé is people-pleasing, parent-pleasing with her mum when she's going to appointments. And then, as you said, when you go to appointments, you do what you actually both want to do. I think this has to come to an end at a certain point because the wedding will happen and I'm assuming the decisions that you are actually making are the decisions that you want. I'm interested in if you just said to the mum... To her mum, my apologies, that was quite brutal. Here's what we think, what her reaction would be. I'm thinking of a couple of examples of people assuming parents are going to act one way, so they act, you know, they go, they do, they go through the show and people please. And then when we've had a couple of questions over the years where I've just gone, I'll just tell them what you, just tell them what you want. And then they're really nervous and they assume that mum's going to freak out or going to remove the money or whatever. And I know this isn't money related. This is probably more of an emotive question that they actually don't necessarily turn around and act the way you think they might. So I suppose the hypothetical question um, is, do you think if your fiancé and yourself actually said to, to your mother-in-law, hey, this is how we're going to do it, what her reaction would be? 
And you might be surprised. She may just go, actually, good. If it makes your kids happy, well done you. And if it doesn't, then as I said, I think you're going to have to come to a conclusion where you actually just sit down with her and say, this is what makes us happy. This is what we're planning. We hope you enjoy it and support us. Because basically, that's all we want them to do. That's all these questions today that I'm featuring. Really, the conclusion of all of these questions is just, spoiler alert, please listen to the rest of the episode, but it is just us as children saying, hey, parents, we've chosen to do things this way, which makes us happy. Please support us because we love you and hopefully you love us and want us to be happy. That is really it. Regardless of any emotional manipulation, again, not saying this is on purpose, they're not scheming, they're not sitting under a dark, they're not sitting in a dark room under a spotlight, just writing the list of things that might shit you off. Maybe they are. That sounds evil. I don't think any of these things are outright, potentially, oh, actually, I'm thinking of some of the questions we're going to feature. Some of them, I'm sure, have the foundations of manipulation, but a lot of them are just them just thinking that they know best when maybe they don't. Gosh, that's just growing up, isn't it? I think that's being parents, thinking that they have the the knowledge and the understanding about the world and life and then trying to guide you in the right direction when you're an adult and you can make the right decisions, especially around a day like this. Oh my gosh, I'm chess psychologist. We've got some, oh, I've got a, my, my, can you hear that? I don't know if you can hear it. My booth stool has become really squeaky and is making weird noises. I'm going to have to buy a new one because sometimes they sound inappropriate. Okie dokie. <laughs> Moving on. Please support the partners that will be featured in this small break because uh, the money that they give me will go to buying a new squeaky, non-squeaky stool for my voiceover booth. <laughs> this is the Bride Chiller Podcast. Thank you for listening. More of Wedding Donors, your questions, my answers after these messages. Bride Chiller Nadine left this very short and snappy review. Five stars, planning bliss with no bullshit advice. Oh, correct. Thank you, Nadine. Also, uh, this week, the <laughs> lovely bride chiller Ali said, I recently got engaged and was completely overwhelmed with all the details and BS that people say you need to do for your wedding. These books helped me calm down, make a plan and throw all unimportant things directly into the fuck it bucket. Thank you so much for the bride chiller books and the podcast. They're so wonderful. Much love fellow bride chiller Ali. Uh, and also final one, which really floated my boat. This is from bride chiller Hannah. Oh, I wonder if it's the same Hannah. <gasps> it might be. Gosh, I don't know. What a detective work would have been good before this. She says that the title is Paper People Rejoice. As an old-fashioned paper person, the field guide is exactly what I need to keep my damn head straight over the next nine months until my wedding. I have anxiety and need to see things laid out in front of me, written down. The questions for vendors section is perfect. It's so easy to skim past some of the important logistics. Thank you, Alicia, for building this amazing tribe. I've been with my partner for five years and the thought of planning our wedding has always caused me anxiety. Through the podcast and the guides, I feel more chill than ever. Happy days. That means the world to me, Hannah. I really am a similar person uh, in the sense that I 
um, am mildly dyslexic, I do think that I am much better seeing things written down, seeing a process, and I'm much more of a visual person. We were talking about this the other night. Rich sees things in numbers. He trained as a, or he's a computer engineer and now as an architect, and he's much more of a numbers logistics spreadsheet person. Where I'm a creative visual person, I always love talking to people about what, when they're looking at planning anything, not just weddings, because uh, I use this in my day job with TV production, and how we go about seeing methods to making things work and seeing methods in and structures and like project management, how we can plan and get things done in a way that isn't making us panic. We can tick things off and find a way that we can see future tasks without it feeling overwhelming. And for me, that's more of a visual thing. And that's what I tried to do in the Bridechiller Field Guide. You know, you go through each section. For example, if you're going to see a photographer, here are all the questions that you should be asking a photographer to make sure that you're getting a good deal, they're going to do the right job, you know the processes that they go through to make their job work. Same with caterers and venues. So I like to see things in a very clear way and also, I really like bright colours, so the books are very colourful, optimistic, and fun. And also, not heteronormative. They are for everyone. There it is. Okay, back to, also I should say, if you want to fuck, <laughs> come on, Alicia, get with the program. If you'd like to purchase your own Bride Chiller Guides or Survival Guides, and also, gosh, so excited, the Maid Chiller Manual is but, I want to say, a month or two away. I'm going to say months away because they're they're being well. They're about to be printed, so they will be coming very soon. I'll keep you updated. But if you would like to purchase a bride chiller survival guide, field guide, or pack, simply use the code word "fuck it," f u c k i t for fifteen percent off. All right, back to the questions. Hi, Alicia. This is Kathy from Boston. Just calling to first say how much I love your podcast. It's been helping me stay so sane during this whole wedding planning process, which is wicked stressful sometimes. Um, I do need your help for a topic, band versus DJ. It's basically my mother and sister versus me and my fiance. We booked a DJ a while ago and my mother and sister keep telling us that it's the biggest mistake we have made. We want a DJ because it first saves us a lot of money and it can give us control over some music that we would want played that night. My fiancé is from a big Lebanese family, and we will be playing some traditional Lebanese music and doing a dance called the Debke, which is a line dance, YouTube it, it's wicked cool. Also, at some point in the night, I wouldn't mind jamming out with all my girlfriends to a bunch of NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, 90s music that we grew up with. I can totally get down with that. My mother keeps saying how a DJ is not classy or elegant, and no one is going to dance. My sister keeps telling me that a DJ does not belong in my venue, at my venue and is just not going to be fun. I just don't know what to do. I feel like the two people that should be helping me and supporting me and the decisions that my fiance and I are making are just not making this process any easier. It's also hard because my mother is giving us money for the wedding. I just don't know how to handle this added stress that they are putting on me. Thank you so much for your podcast. Next time you are in Boston, please, please do a meetup. I would love to be one of your live shows. And thanks for being a virtual bridesmaid. Happy days. Kelsey, I had to include your question because I do think it fits perfectly with this topic today. And 
really one of those situations where parents and also your sister's voice in it as well doesn't help. It's not helping the cause. But where, let's just focus on your mum because she's giving you the cash. They, she thinks a certain way. She has a certain belief system. Oh, my God, this is like a whole metaphor for our current society where we think we know best. Parents are used to being in a situation where they're like, I am the guidance person. I know everything. I raised you. I birthed you. I gave you insights into the world. I'm sure your mum doesn't speak like that. But the idea that then you are saying, actually, no, this is what we want to do. We want the Backstreet Boys pop music. We want to be able to choose what works for us. And by the way, I think a DJ is a really good idea. I don't know why I'm whispering. It's always creepy. I fucking love DJs. We had a DJ and... Again, like my lovely friend Leo Weinberg from Colourpop Events has said before, one of the episodes that we did recently where we talked about what to spend money on and what to save money on, she's a wedding planner and she had said, um, I'm just quoting out of my mind here, but I remember her saying, bands, if you've got 10, 15 grand, and I know some of them are cheaper, but the idea is if you want to give a band a big playlist and you can find a band that's versatile and can play all the different genres of music that you would like featured, great. If you can afford a band, fantastic. But those sort of bands are really expensive, hard to find, and also bands are really fucking hit and miss, as you've probably heard me say. I was was aggressive. I'm so sorry. Got Got really involved just then. Bands can be really hit and miss where a good DJ, a really competent, cool DJ can play all the stuff you want and make your dreams come true. So I am 100% Team Kelsey. Now, coming back to your sister, it's a real shame because what you're facing here is your mum's opinion and her saying it's not classy. I'm sure she doesn't speak like that either. That's not a Boston accent. It's not classy or whatever she said. It's not sophisticated. I think she might be thinking of most of the DJs that we think of, like sleazy DJs called Steve. Sorry, Steve DJs, who are like, hey, how's it going? This is the I'm the DJ guy. I'm going to fucking spin some tunes. And you're like, that's not... I'm sure not who you were choosing to hire for your DJ. You've already hired the DJ. So I also I'm confused because you've you've done, you've booked it. She needs to get over it. But perhaps she's thinking about those douchey DJs. So maybe the solution is for her to meet your DJ, for them to have a bit of a face-to-face, have a chat, talk through their plan, whether it's his or her. She had like a woman DJ. I feel like it might be a man. I'd like to hear from female DJs. If you listen to the show, female DJs, get in touch. I'll put you on the show. The idea that maybe your mum needs a face-to-face and have a bit of a connection with them and, and see their previous work, maybe that will put her at ease. Maybe this is one, Kelsey, you might just have to step up and go, this is going to make us happy for these reasons. I really value your input and thank you so much for your feedback, but we've decided we're going to go for the DJ. Just saying, please trust our judgment. This is what's going to make us happy and that's what this day is about, really. If you do visit, uh, if you do visit thebridechiller.com and you can search all the blogs and past episodes of the show and I have done quite a few episodes about wedding music and featured some pretty snazzy wedding DJs talking about what they do. So maybe that will help your mum and sister as well if they are podcast listeners. Why aren't they? If they aren't, get them on board. It'll open up their minds. Thank you, Kelsey, and good luck. And please keep us updated about the band versus DJ and who wins. You're going to win, by the way. 
Hi, Alicia. My name's Emily. I'm calling from Tacoma, Washington. I am a new bride chilla and new to uh, your podcast. So thank you so much for all that you do. Um, I'm calling today um, to see if anybody has experience um, with uh, marrying into a different culture, um, specifically Hispanic uh, Mexican. I'm white and my fiance um, is Hispanic um, and issues with future mother-in-laws. Uh, my future mother-in-law is threatening not to be a donor, as you say, um, if we don't have one of his cousins in the wedding because she feels like she would do a disservice to her deceased mother. Um, I understand her emotional connection with this, but he's just not somebody that we want to have in the wedding. Um, I'm just kind of looking for advice or tips. Um, you know, she kind of threatens us or holds it over our heads that she's not going to help us pay for certain things if we don't oblige by her um, rules. And my family doesn't do that, but I don't want more of the financial responsibility to later be passed on to my family. Um, so yeah, just looking for some advice, some information, just anything really. This has been a major stressor for us. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Emily, I'm so sorry that you are going through this because I actually think as well as going into a new family, you are looking at cultural differences and learning about the, well, I want to say the eccentricities of family life, about how potentially in, you know, your upbringing, it's quite different to your partner's upbringing with his cultural background and the way, the way that families work. Sometimes they're just different and that's life. In my day job recently, I was working with a Jamaican family, a Jamaican-English family. And uh, in TV world, we call the people that we work with, the people on TV, contributors. And the contributor that we were working with, her mum was a really big matriarch of the family. And the, the, the contributor that we we're working with said, you know, my mum has always been the decision maker of this household. She's the matriarch. We respect what she says and we do what she says. And this was the first time that she she said, you know, this is the first time I have maybe taken a path that she didn't agree with, e.g. participating in this television show. I'm not going to talk about the specifics of that, but it really opened my eyes to how the culture, her upbringing, the cultural differences between, you know, me, white girl from Tasmania who just sort of did what she wanted because that's the way it was, to looking at her upbringing and saying, well, in our culture, the mums are the leaders of our community and our families and they make decisions and it's very hard to defy them. And just listening to your your message, Emily, it made me think about how this is sort of a similar situation but also your partner's mum is using money and then also a dead relative against you well she's using it to make decisions and it's a guilty thing and I think that's not very fair to say that you have to have the cousin involved because her deceased mother would have wanted it that way is a bit of a manipulation can I just say no disrespect it's very sad that her mother's no longer around and I don't know if she has some sort of pathway to speak to her mother. I don't really believe in that, so I'm being a bit of a dick here. But I don't think 
necessarily I, I see that as a way of her using an emotional manipulation of saying my mother would have wanted this you should do it to really really mess you guys around and I think that's I think that's really unfair I also firmly believe and I speak about this a lot in the survival guide that the idea that you use a a monotional emotional manipulation you say I'm going to withhold money or I will not be attending or this will not happen is a really shifty thing to do and actually partially I absolutely see what you're saying um, Emily that you don't want to then test this to the point where she pulls out altogether and says no money then your parents have to deal with it I'm not saying that you should be going to the relationship casino and gambling at all but I also think that she's testing you and potentially if you sit down and say we are really worried about keeping you happy and pleasing you and we really respect your judgment and we love you but it's causing us a lot of stress and emotional strain and I'm very concerned that you know a few months down the track you are going to pull your money and it's going to put us in a position that we can't cope with please understand that this is really hard for us we're not deliberately going against you but firstly we've decided on our bridal party and unfortunately the cousin is not going to be involved but we'd love for him to be there on the day if you do I don't know I'm making decisions for you but I'm assuming he's probably invited and we want him to celebrate with us but we've made this plan already and also when you use your mother your mother's death as a way of making decisions it really upsets us and it makes us feel quite uneasy and sad and we don't want to do that because this is about being happy and planning our wedding and making everyone enjoy it and everyone feel like they're contributing and enjoying contributing you know your mother-in-law, your your partner obviously knows your mother-in-law very well. You know how far you can push this. But also I think some of these these old dames, these women, going back to that Jamaica mama, I feel like when you push them to a point, sometimes you can step over because they've just never really been challenged. This is not something you're used to being put in the position of actually someone saying, no, that's not going to work for me. That is not going to work for me. My favorite phrase. I do think it's worth sitting down and having a conversation. And look, here are some points. Let me just say, these are straight out of the survival guide. Here are some points that I think everyone listening should make a mental note of. And also, they're in the show notes today. So if you uh, head to thebridechiller.com, you'll be able to write these down or simply purchase a survival guide and then you'll have them in your hot little hand. Here are questions to ask wedding donors and these are conversations to have before accepting any money. And Emily, you can still do this. The first one is, is their contribution to be added to the overall budget? Maybe they just want to put money in the kitty. Maybe your mother-in-law, um, Emily, your future mother-in-law, has a specific thing she wants to fund and therefore she can have some input into it. This is one way to get around it. Do they have specific expectations for their contributions? So if she's paying for the food, then yeah, maybe she can come in and have an opinion about the food. This is a, a, an easy way, well, not easy, but it's it can simplify the contributions when they're just specifically giving you money for one thing not the overall wedding where they feel like they've got an opinion on fucking everything do they want to see receipts do they want to see <laughs> i have to laugh because i love the real housewives and i was explaining the term to rich about um 
you know, I've got the receipts. And he's like, what do you mean you've got the receipts? And I'm like, I've got the proof. And this is not a new Real Housewives phrase, but they always at the reunions at Real Housewife, Real Housewives, they will say, I've got the text messages. All right. And they, they bring out all this paperwork and like no one gives a shit, but they want to prove that the other one's wrong or they print out text messages. Um, so I was trying to explain to him um, about saying, babe, I've got the receipts. I've got the proof. And he thinks I'm crazy. Anyway, do the parents, do your wedding donors want to see receipts and spreadsheets? Do they want to be that involved? And if they do, I think you should be very cautious. How involved are they hoping to be? How much input do they want to give? And then also, does this money come with conditions? Is it things like guest list additions? Is it, you know, like your mother-in-law saying, I want this guy to be a part of your, this guy, the cousin, to be a part of the, the bridal party. That, that's conditional generosity, which is what I, I talk about a lot in the book saying that the idea that you are being very generous, but the generosity comes with conditions. It's not really generosity, is it? It's sort of faux generosity. So I do think it's probably time, Emily, for you to sit down and have a chat to mama and sort of say, look, we're really struggling with this. I don't know what to do now. We're upset and we want this resolved because we want to all enjoy the process. There it is. Woo! I feel like we've done well today. We as in I and as a community. If you are also struggling with parental related challenges, if you are, I've used the word challenge 128 times this episode. It's just no other way. You want to say parental related shit. It's just a bit bogan. If you are having challenges in your wedding and you would like to submit a question for me to potentially help you solve those challenges, I would love to hear from you. And all you need to do is visit thebridechiller.com where you can leave a voice message or you can simply record a voice message on your mobile telephone, your cell phone. And um, you can head to the website for my email address and just send me the voice message. It's really simple. You can't miss it. It's so easy. And then I might use it on the show. Lastly, the greatest gift you can give to this podcast and myself is by spreading the word. If you know someone that's stressed, who is suffering from wed stress and who could use a big kick up the ass of trying to remain chill, that's not very positive, is it? Hey, hey, here's this podcast and a kick up the ass. If you know someone that could maybe use a bit of chiller in their life, then grab their phone. Do it, you know, be nice, don't be weird, and subscribe them to this podcast. I always say start people off with the fuck it bucket episode. I think people don't really know when you're talking about wedding planning podcasts, like, hi, this is what, um, this is how you dress a table. I mean, you know, that's not my scene. Good luck to anyone doing a podcast talking about table settings for half an hour. Anyway, if you know someone that could use some bride chiller in their life, just let them know about the show. Also, if you subscribe and you have a moment to leave a rating and review, I'd really appreciate it. There it is. Until next week's episode of the Bride Chiller podcast, where I am featuring the wonderful Megan Ellie, who is back. You might remember her from the episode that we did about the royal wedding, which was a hoot. Megan is a big royal wedding fan. She's also a publicist who helps me find some amazing guests for this show. She put up with all of my Prince Philip is dead and is a zombie shit in the last episode. And there's probably more of that to come. I've been making little clips of to share with her that I'm sure she will be horrified and also delighted as well. Can't wait to share that episode with you. It's going to be fun and she has a lot to say. And it's not all just about royal weddings. I want to just say there's a lot more we're talking about. But um, 
I will rib her on all of that. Thanks so much again for supporting the show. And uh, I love, love, love making this. And I love hearing from you. If you're not a member of the Bride Chiller Facebook group, jump on board. Join it. Get involved. Until next week, happy days. The Bride Chiller Podcast, empowering you to kick wedding planning ass every day. If you have visited vendors, gone to meetings and thought, ah, what are the questions that I need to ask this person to make sure they're legit and they're going to do the job properly? If only I had the Bride Chiller Field Guide, which contains all of the big, important questions you should ask before you sign on the dotted line with any vendor. This is what makes the Bride Chiller Field Guide very different from anything else on the market, which is why I wrote it. To pick up your copy of the Bride Chiller Field Guide and the Companion Bride Chiller Survival Guide, visit bridechillerstore.com and I thank you for supporting the Bride Chiller Podcast.